0: Hi everyone, this is Harrison Goodale, co-founder of Sustain Music and Nature, and welcome to Songscapes. Today, Charles Copland is joined by Adam Gardner, singer and guitarist with Guster, and also co-founder of the music and green movement nonprofit, Reverb. Reverb has been leading the charge in greening the music industry by facilitating carbon-neutral and carbon-positive tours through the likes of Dave Matthews Band, Harry Styles, and many, many more. Sustain and Reverb share very similar inspiration, that there is power in music to unite and inspire people for actionable, positive change. So, it's an honor to have Adam here to talk about the intersection of music and nature in his work with Reverb and Guster. To kick things off, Charles and Adam dive into how Guster has been weathering the pandemic.
1: I hate to start on a bummer, but I just read that you guys, Gustra had to promote or postpone rather your tour. Yep. How does that feel? It must suck.
2: You know, look, it wasn't, it's not like it was a total shock. It was something we were debating in the lead up of it anyway. You know, when we put the tickets on sale, we knew it was something we were hoping to do, but weren't guaranteed to do. And it's just, we're so used to it now. When the first thing, you know, when we first got shut down March, you know, in March of 2020, We were in the middle of a tour. So we're, you know, and even when we were on that tour, we're like, "Hmm, I wonder if we're going to get through this whole thing. And we didn't, we got halfway through it. So it's, you know, we've been living with this reality for a couple of years now as a band where, you know, I guess we're lucky in that, even though it's come to really pretty much a standstill. I think since we were halted in the middle of 2020 tour, we've done three concerts since then. That's it total. One was a drive-in in in New Hampshire, like in the first year of the pandemic, pre-vaccine. Uh, and then we did a Red Rock show, which was amazing in that like perfect moment of the pandemic where people were vaccinated, but Delta wasn't, Delta was just starting to enter the new cycle, but people weren't sure what it was. And, it, and everyone, it worked out great. And that was an amazing experience at Red Rocks. Our first time headlining it and it sold out and we played with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra and it was epic. And then we did another like kind of smaller Brooklyn whiskey type gig <laughs> just for fun. Um, after that one, and that's all we've done in like in these
1: you know months and months now. It's weird. It was the Red Rocks gig, perhaps around Memorial Day of two thousand twenty-one, somewhere in that area. It was a little later than that, so it was just as Delta was entering the the
2: public psyche, but people weren't sure what the deal was with it.
1: My wife and I went to Telluride with Sustained for the Mountain Film Festival, and when we landed, it was just about that time you described, where it was like, wait a minute. Nobody's wearing masks here. Everybody's vaccinated. We can go wherever we want. The pandemic seems to be over. This is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I I do ask all my guests this. Is there a pandemic positive for the band? Are you guys doing anything that you feel like when this thing finally calms down, you're going to come out of it with more perspective, with something different or innovative or interesting, or is it just sort of, nah, we're just kind of waiting for this to be over?
2: I think it's somewhere in between there. So we were able to write and record music. So we have a bunch of songs that are recorded that we're working on now, and we're going to write and record some more. So I think we'll end up with an album when this is all said and done, which is exciting. And we have a number of tracks that are ready to be released whenever we're ready to do it strategically. So that's exciting. We're sitting on a pile of songs that we're excited about. So that's really great. It was a little bit, you know, of course, the situation of you know, the context of recording those songs was unusual and not what we typically do you know we've been recording music for 30 years now so it's it was definitely unusual where you know like there's four members in the band and and there's never a moment in the process where all four of us are in the same room um so that's unusual that's never happened before but we're really pleased with the results so yes yeah, so i think that's a positive positive. and the other positive is you know as a band that's been touring the way we have been i mean you know we're not touring now like we were in our 20s when we were gone 10 months out of the year we were still gone a lot especially for being fathers and having kids that are middle school age so it's been really nice I think the positive for all of us has been to be home and spend time with our families in a consistent manner and not kind of do that in and out even though we were used to it it took <laughs> it took a while to get used to honestly I think for all of us to just be in one place for that long I, I haven't been in one place for this long since I was in college and I'm 48 so that was a transition but then now I'm really used to it and very comfortable with it I'm baking bread as we speak. We got a COVID puppy that I love, and I, you know, I just went cross-country skiing in our back. Uh, you know We have a golf course in the backyard that we abut, and so it's, you know, I think we're finding the joy in it where we can. and, and yeah. yeah. But as a band, I think it's been hard. We've been disconnected from each other, so I look forward to doing that again. And that was the biggest disappointment of canceling this latest tour, was we'd be together right now. You know, it was gonna be different. We are gonna be in lockdown together, but we'd be together. Uh, and I was looking forward to reconnecting as as a full band because we haven't actually spent time all together since, you know, those
1: two gigs last summer. Yeah, no, that's understandable. I by the way, we got COVID kittens, so I, I kinda get the I kinda get that one. Um well speaking of things that you can do sort of in isolation, are you still doing your radio show? No. I stopped doing that a while ago. That was one, that was something we did when we when I moved to
2: Portland, Maine. Uh, the local radio station just kind of reached out. I was like, well, that's a cool way to kind of get to know the community and get to know people.
1: The reason I ask is I know that the radio show you were doing, you talked a lot about environmental issues, which is a good segue to talk about Reverb. For the uninitiated, can you just sort of give us the verbal about page of what Reverb is? Yeah. So uh, my wife, Lauren Sullivan, and I started Reverb
2: in and We've been leading the green music movement since then. You know, I come from obviously the music world. My wife comes from the environmental world, and the idea is that we're a nonprofit organization that we use the cultural power of music not only for it to change its own practices as an industry to be more sustainable, but then the incredible influence and reach to make changes happen in related industries and among all the music fans. And so we'll actually we'll be part of tours. So we'll put our staff on Dave Matthews Band tour, or Billie Eilish's tour, or Harry Styles' tour. Just to take care of the sustainability measures that we create a program for. And they take care of everything from plastic waste and you know local sustainable farmed food to working with the venues and their practices with energy, working with the fans and trying to get them to, to carpool and work on that commute part since it's so big, looking at the carbon footprint and reducing that as much as possible. Sourcing, you know, we've put biodiesel and buses and trucks and whatever we can to like limit the environmental footprint, carbon and environmental in general footprint of the tour, while maximizing the impact for local, national, and global nonprofits and causes. So we'll have an eco village at every show that our on-site staffer that travels with the tour sets up, bringing out local nonprofit groups or national campaigns, engaging fans right there at the show. Letting the show be the show, but letting fans, as they walk in, feel the band and their passion for protecting the environment from the moment they walk in, as opposed to getting hit by credit card companies or beer or whatever is in the concourse and whatever advertisers are there. Um, it's nice for the fans to feel their artists, the, you know, the band that they're there to see, and have them greeted by our volunteers. We have thousands of street team members across the country and now globally. So yeah, I mean, the the big picture of it is. We're changing music from within and using the power of music to engage the public at large and governments and corporations as well to make significant change happen.
1: Are you pleased with the take rate? Do you feel that this is becoming more standard operating procedure and less of an aberration with bands, with corporations? Are you seeing progress with this? Are you pleased?
2: I would say... Yes, we're seeing progress. I'll never be pleased until we no longer need to exist as an organization where it is just standard practice, where we don't have to do it for people or teach people how to do it for themselves. But yeah, for sure, seeing real momentum, it's been more hopeful than not from what we see. When we we put this program in front of artists and their managers, they love it and they get it. When the fans see it and can plug into it, they appreciate it and take action. Um, So we're seeing great results on tours. We're eliminating millions literally we've eliminated over three million single-use plastic water bottles for example at concerts through a program that we have analogy called rock and refill so dave matthews band i mentioned him before so he'll like draw something that we put on a limited edition water bottle you can only get at the shows it's a reusable water bottle fans can bring in their own empty reusable water bottles we have water stations set up in the eco village is one of the things that fans can do to make a difference hey instead of paying eight bucks for dasani water You can get the same or better quality water from our free filtered water station and get a Memento uh, reusable water bottle that you can take home and continue to use. That's just like one of like 40 different things that we would do. That's one example where we've made real impact.
1: So if one wanted to volunteer, because I know that you do a lot of this with an army of volunteers they obviously, I would assume, can go to the Reverb website. But what is involved in volunteering and working with you guys? How can somebody get involved? Yeah, I mean,
2: well, there's lots of different ways, but the most prevalent way is at concerts and working as a volunteer at a show and engaging fans at the Eco Village to take action right there on the spot. And then, of course, getting their contact information so we can continue to engage them. So that's a big one. But we also do service project events. So, uh, you know, we mentioned the Guster at Red Rocks show, that was our first climate positive concert, which means we eliminated more Carbon pollution then we created on tour, including all the fans travel to and from the show, which for that show was intense because people flew to it, unfortunately. So we we did a service project with a local tree organization where we helped care for trees in the parks uh, and had a bunch of volunteers do that. I was there with them. I think at that point we were just working on feeding and, and maintaining the trees that existed in the park to protect them and keep them growing. But uh, there's all sorts of different opportunities if you just go to Reverb.org. But generally, it's the concerts. And that's the fun part for most fans because they get to see their favorite artists for free while engaging their peers at concerts to take action for the environment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about something. I know you founded Reverb with your wife, who, as you said, is an environmentalist. You've been in a band of guys for a very, very long time. You've been on the road a lot. Now you're in a pandemic. You're stuck at home. You're working with your wife I've been married a long time. How's that relationship in terms of working together? Do you enjoy it? Obviously, you do. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, obviously, when we first started it, it was hard to
2: figure out our roles and who was doing what. And there was a lot of like clanging shovels, so to speak, where it was where we were kind of both up in each other's grill with how to do this. But once we figured out how to do it and we, you know, have a clear idea of what our roles are within the organization, and now, of course, we have employees and, and a team. It's great. No, I think it's, it's working well. I think the hardest challenge for us, and I think we've, again, we've been doing this now for a while. We started in 2004. So at first was not always talking about work and having to remember to just be home and with each other. But now with kids and work and all this stuff, I think we've just learned how to find some time for ourselves just as a couple. And also still get the stuff we need to get done for work and get the stuff we need to get done to be parents and everything else that we do in our lives. How old are your kids? So I've got a daughter who is 13 and a son who's 11.
1: So that's the same age as mine. I have an older daughter, younger son, two years apart. They're going to probably at some point, as you know, start to get more involved with this, hopefully. Has it been difficult for you, again, when there's not a pandemic going on, hopefully soon, to divide your time between Guster and Reverb, or does it sort of fit in organically? It fits well. The
2: reality is, you know, a band on tour, everyone's like, oh my God, you're so busy. It's like, actually, I have more time during the day than I would if I was home because I don't have the parent piece when I'm out on the road. Um, And, you know, typically, unless we're promoting a record and doing a bunch of radio station visits there's plenty of time during the day for me to get reverb work done and everything's rem- was, you know, so I've been working remotely for reverb for a long way before the pandemic. Um, as long as I had an internet connection and a cell phone, I was getting stuff done. And my role within the organization primarily is talking to artists and managers about how we can help them with their tours or with their album releases or any part of their business to be more sustainable.
1: The environment obviously is extraordinarily important to you. And it seems like it has been for most of your life. Was there, or has there been sort of that moment out in nature where you have this one specific memory in your head where you're like, oh, that was, that's just the epitome of like, that's it. This is, I'm present. This is wonderful. Is there one thing that's sort of one place that stands out for you? Several places that stand out for me.
2: So I grew up I grew up in New Jersey, and a lot of people who don't know it well just assume I like grew up off the turnpike or something. And I, I didn't. I grew up in the woods, not unlike this the place I live now in Maine. So it was quite wooded. I remember as a kid spending a lot of time in the woods uh, on the animal trails and kind of by the creek where there was some natural clay. And I would I would use I would actually like make little figurines out of the riverbed clay. Um, dry it in the sun and just spent a lot of time just kind of exploring that waterway and checking out crayfish and stuff. So for me, from a very early age, I was always part, I was always involved in being in nature. That being said, I, this is a more typical kid growing up in New Jersey piece. I never went camping until I was 17. Um, and I did an, I did a Knowles course where I was in the Wind River Range for a month it was just like a, a fly. There was no tent and we were above treeline for a lot of it. And that was definitely a pinnacle moment for my relationship with the environment and how important being in those surroundings is to just my overall well being and, and feeling connected on a spiritual level to everything. <laughs> so that to me, like that, that especially is, is a big one. So I think, when I think about early days, I definitely think about like the woods behind my house as a kid, and then that, that, that trip really kind of changed the way I saw the power of nature and how important it is and how important it is in my life.
0: Stay with us. More from Charles and Adam after the break.
3: wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music and Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, Our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org.
0: We've heard from Adam and Charles discussing his work with Reverb, and how the organization uses the creative capital of musicians to drive change within the music industry, and increase public engagement. We'll now hear about some of the ways Guster stayed connected with their fans throughout the pandemic.
2: For our band, I think a big part of who we are is people and just why fans still care about our band outside of the music is that we have this nice we're excited we've always been very ex- accessible to our fans or people who come to our shows you know we, we don't do the big rock and roll wall like there is no fourth wall with us and um, we just wanted to do something to stay connected to everybody while we're not on the road there's such an incredible community that is built up around our band which is such a Amazing thing to to witness and see and know and so this wishes thing is basically hey like do whatever you know whatever you want to ask us to do we may you know especially if it's creative or tickles our funny bone or or tugs at our heartstrings or whatever we'll consider doing it and uh, so I actually just did you know to speak to the community piece I just did a little like they're like we want Adam to crash our our Zoom hangout and it's a bunch of Guster fans from across the country that all know each other through our band and that's it. They would just go to concerts and see each other and wanted to keep in touch with each other. They'd do a monthly zoom um, and they wanted me to crash it. And it was just like, I got really choked up, to be honest, like just seeing all their faces again, like they're usually all the people in the first couple rows. So I recognized everybody and I talked to almost everyone every time we play a show anyway, but to see them again and know that they're still keeping in touch with each other, was just so touching and kind of, an honor to just know that these awesome people have these incredible friendships just because we're a band. Like it's so
1: what a cool unexpected outcome. It's like a more spiritual organic version of Cameo. Like it's just sort of a more heartfelt, you know, it's less commercial.
2: That was the idea. I mean, originally we were, we wanted to do cameo and just make it free, you know, and just be like, Hey, let's just do it. Like, it feels weird. I don't know about the way this is. Um, but then we're like, Oh, well, it would be nice to have some sort of income since we haven't toured in a couple of years, but let's do it in a way that's more fun and interactive. And, you know, and, and we just kind of look at it and see what inspires us. We all kind of just look at it separately and, and choose whatever we want to do. But for me, I look at the things that give me that connection. That's my favorite part about touring and being in Guster anyway is, that connection with the fans. Like when I'm playing, my eyes are open. I'm not, I'm not introspective while I'm performing. I'm looking out in the crowd. I'm trying to make eye contact with people and connect with them emotionally. Um, so any of the wish type stuff that I'm fulfilling, it's that. So like another one I'm really looking forward to is I'm helping someone write their vows. Oh, cool. Which is like, so cool. So I'm going to, you know, talk to them about their relationship and what, what, what it means to them and what they want to promise. other. Like it's going to be incredible. So that, that yeah. stuff is like, It's fun. It's a great way to just stay connected or even honestly be more connected to our fans than just a kind of a smile and a wave at a show.
1: So speaking of performing and connecting to people, you have become and have had several occasions to do this a spokesman for sustainability with Reverb. You've spoken in front of Congress. You've spoken at conferences can you describe sort of your mindset when you go into those things, the difference maybe between connecting when you're on stage with Guster and sort of establishing that intimate connection with individuals who are sitting there listening to you speak, what goes behind your preparation for a speech like that? What's that persona for you like? It's all, oh, the persona is fine. I
2: mean, it's me. So it's, there's nothing that I have to put on for that. Um, and as far as prepping and all that, it just depends on what I'm doing. Obviously, testifying to Congress for something like uh, protecting a law that was going to stop uh, <laughs> the, the enforcement of preventing illegal logging. That was It was going to gut this, this law that has been on the books for years. Um, I have to know what I'm saying, what I'm trying to communicate, who I'm representing, and how to convince, at that time, the Tea Party <laughs> to not... Destroy this important law that was helping the prevention of illegal logging globally. Um,
1: But I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think that's exactly what I'm trying to ask you because, like on on one hand, you're entertaining fans who are already with you; they're there, and then now here in a completely different place, you're speaking to people who it's got to be frustrating. You're even having to have the conversation with these individuals. And you feel, I think, responsibility to be successful in getting through to these people. Can you talk about that? Yeah, obviously I testified
2: twice. One time it was more favorable, the first time, fortunately, so that was nice. I can get all the, I got all the jitters and nervousness of you know speaking in front of Congress out of the way with a very friendly, receptive audience because they just wanted to hear, at that point they were considering how they might legislate biofuels. And at that time, Reverb had fueled I think close to half a million or more gallons of biodiesel and tour buses and trucks. So they wanted to just hear what it was like out there, how well it works and, um, infrastructural needs. So that was an easy one. Um, and the, my message there was, do, you're getting too hung up on the feedstock, like basically what it's made out of. Um, and said like, if, as a governmental body as, and you know, from at least our perspective as environmentalists and people who use the stuff, Uh, just make sure that you're legislating on how sustainable it is and let the market decide what the feedstocks are as long as you have specific standards for for the sustainability of it. And, of course, at that time I was talking about community-based and how to keep it more localized as opposed to, you know, nobody wants to cut down rainforest to plant soy plants. That doesn't make sense. So things like that. The second time, it was way more adversarial where I had to go in there and really impress upon the folks who were there. I was kind of like the one person on the panel representing the other side of the, of the argument, which was this law should stay and actually be enforced more strongly, not gutted and, and ignored and why and, and who cares about it. And it was, it was to make a long story less long music was brought into it because there was a there's a a case with gibson where fish and wildlife services had to go in and and the gibson facility got raided because they had some illegal or questionably legal i should say lumber so the tea party took that as like this is government overreach and they and like made gibson the poster child for this and like then they got some country artist or whatever to say like well if they can go into gibson and and raid them how they can they could come on my tour bus and take away my vintage instruments and course that's not true and so I had to go in and say well no actually here's what a lot of music has to say and I was lucky I was able to just kind of put up the bat signal to all of our uh, reverb artists and supporters saying oh my god we've been doing all this work on the road for so many years to make our tour sustainable meanwhile the very instruments that we're playing could have been ripped out of world heritage sites by child and slave labor old growth wood Um, so how do we make sure that we don't have to worry about that and just be able to purchase the instruments that we like the most and not worry about it coming from something that is horrible for the environment and for people who, who are indigenous to the area that wood comes from. So it was easy because we had so many artists on board. I was able to present that to, to those officials and say, look, I'm here representing a large swath of music that, and musicians that do care about this, that have all signed something saying they're not buying another instrument until they know that the wood is legal and, and sustainable. Um, and we're also all ready to tell all of our fans we which there are millions of between all of us and you can consider them your constituents we're ready to tell them what you decide here today and i just stuck to it being like we are going to tell everyone that you're screwing up if you <laughs> vote this the wrong way so we're able to use that pressure because we have you know we're lucky as musicians and you know it's tricky like celebrity influencers and all that get a bad rap and i understand why in some ways, but in this situation, it's it's musicians that are walking their talk. It's not just some celebrity saying we should do this and then they're doing whatever they want. Like they're, they're making serious efforts and leading the charge in their industries to be more sustainable. Um, so I think it just holds a different weight than just somebody who has a lot of followers on social media.
1: Did logic insanity prevail in this case?
2: We did. We stopped them in their tracks. They didn't. They didn't gut the bill. They 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 were stopped in their tracks. The the law stayed as is. It's called the Lacey Act. Um, and we followed up by getting artists to write letters to Fish and Wildlife Services, thanking them for enforcing the law and encouraging them to continue to enforce the law.
1: I, I love the the analogy, not the analogy, the way you you sort of frame uh, fans being constituents because I think you know so often now I think a lot of musicians have decided they can't make a difference. And I think when you look at it the way you're looking at it, you realize you absolutely can make a difference. Yeah, and well, I, I, you know, it's always about,
2: I feel like it's concentric circles of, of influence, right? So, all right, what can I do on my own tour? All right, let's start using reusables on the tour bus. Let's, let's have idling policies. Let's like look at our merchandise and make sure it's not being shipped from all around the world and made out of materials that aren't sustainable. You know, what are we putting in our hospitality rider? Like all those little things that start immediately, but then, okay, now what can we do about influencing the related industries? Like what are the hotels that we can support that are more green? So when we stay in a town, we're staying there. What are What is the deal with the, the tour bus leasing companies? Like one of the biggest first things that we did with Dave Matthews Band was to get their bus company to accept biodiesel in their buses because they were afraid of it. And, you know, I get it because, you know, it's millions of dollars worth of equipment that they own, but we were able to get them to see the light and not only be okay with it, but they started advertising it on their homepage. Hey, we allow, you know, we use biodiesel in our buses and trucks, ask us about it. So, you know, changing the industry from within. And then again, all those related industries and how do you support businesses both locally as you're going on tour in each community? Oh, there's, you know, I remember especially the early days. Like solar was kind of a newer thing, you know, in the early two thousands, as far as having the ability to use it in any sort of way at home. So having some local businesses that were doing those sorts of things come out to the eco village, engaging the fans, as well as local organizations that are, you know, fighting for the fighting the good fight in each community that the tour reaches, and supporting each one of those groups both financially and by bringing tens of thousands of fans to a concert to engage with them and making it really clear to those fans that these organizations are here because we want them to be and we want you to talk to them. We try to work with a a wide range of artists. So some artists want to be more outspoken and we'll talk about it from stage. Others just want to put on a show and that's totally cool. And that's the beauty of social media now too, because we didn't have that in the beginning of this organization, you know, where they don't have to interrupt the show itself to talk about anything. It can all happen ahead and after and let Reverb and local, the national nonprofit groups that are at the concert in the, in the eco village speak and have the bands, you know, we brand the village as the band. So it's clear that we're not just some random third party there. We're part of the tour.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting approach. It's like, you do have to be strategic because you don't want to bang fans over the head. But on the other hand, there's an opportunity to, to make changes for good. And, and obviously it's more relevant now than ever. I want to ask you a question and I think you're gonna know why I'm asking it, but if not, I'll explain it. You went to Tufts, does it matter where you go to college? Do you know why I'm asking you that question? I don't. uh, Well, because it's all coming. (laughs) Well, no, 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 no. Because uh, you, I I read, uh, I think I read a quote. I think it was a quote where like you were like, does it matter where you go to college? And you were like, I'm not sure it does. And then everybody that's important in your life you met when you were in college. So I just wondered if you you could talk about that for a second.
2: I mean, as far as that goes, sure. I mean, who knows? That's a sliding sliding door. It's a sliding doors question. But yeah. But you met your wife
1: and your bandmates at at college, right? I did. Like within the
2: first. First 12 months of going to school crazy um, yeah i mean ryan and brian were, were my bandmates and were some of the first people actually i met them before we did a wilderness speaking of nature we did a wilderness orientation before regular college orientation and i met them there in the woods in new hampshire um, so yeah so weird that way um, you know
1: and do i use my degree as a psych major sure i probably do especially with reaver yeah, no no no, i know <laughs> But having, having put two kids through college and being a college graduate and I teach college uh, as an adjunct, um, I just thought it was a funny thing because, you know, in some ways it, it makes absolutely no difference where you go to college. But you're right. It's a sliding doors moment because if you would have went to another school, you'd probably still be living a life that defines who you were, but it might be with different individuals. So it's just kind of an interesting metaphysical question to throw out there. For sure. And I don't think uh, music for
2: me was always a part of my life. I loved it. I, I started, you know, the second I could play a couple chords on a guitar, I started a band and, and was in that band for from eighth grade to senior year in high school. And then the next band was Guster. Um, so music was always, I knew it was always going to be a part of my life, but I never thought it'd be, I never had aspirations of like, I just never thought it'd be possible to actually make a living being a musician. It just seems so insane. So that, that being said, if I went somewhere else and met other people and didn't meet Ryan O'Brien, I don't think I would be a professional musician. I think I would be playing music. I'd probably have some sort of dad band, (laughs) you know, but that'd be it. And so that, that is kind of amazing how it happened.
1: Yeah, well, fortunately, it worked. It all worked out in your personal and professional life as well. As we're getting ready to wind down here, just sort of coming back to the pandemic where it started. I I love the the quarantine kitchen stuff you guys were doing. Are you going to do any more of those? And people who 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 haven't seen it should go to YouTube and check it out.
2: Yeah, we uh, we are. Yeah, so that was something. You know, obviously, when live music stopped, Reverb had a big existential crisis like who are we as an organization without concerts happening because so much of our work and frankly the fundraising for our work and 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 related projects that we support came from concerts happening so it was a big kind of scary time and we had you know like everybody we had to pivot Um, and quarantine kitchen was one of those things so uh yeah we you know thought we'd be fun thought it'd be fun to do a live stream cooking show with musicians that Weren't professional chefs by any stretch, but everyone was cooking more at home, especially the first year of the pandemic. So yeah, it was just a fun thing to do and a great way to keep in touch with the artists we work with and meet a few that we hadn't worked with before. And it was, yeah, it's neat. So yeah, that's that's an ongoing series. We have a few more episodes left to fulfill our relationship with Impossible because right now they're all plant-based
1: recipes. They're sustainable recipes. Cool. Well, I end every podcast with a question, which is, and it can be your song. Is there one song that you sort of a positive song that you have an identification in your mind with your relationship with nature, your kind of go-to?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, the band, the samples. I don't. Yeah. They're, they're a, Colo- they're, they're a Colorado band. They were big in the nineties, especially, but they have a song called nature and, uh, and it's, it's just a beautiful song there. I love their band. We were lucky to, to tour with them back in their heyday and just the lyrics are basically about how nature's all around you and how you can, I mean, literally the lyric is literally, I'm looking at it now, nature, it's all around me, nature, it's so astounding, it puts me on a beach, swims beneath the sea, it's never out of reach, it's even you and me, that's the first verse. So just like the idea of like, it's all, we are nature, we are connected to nature, let's remember that and just for me, again, like what I was saying earlier, like just how important it is to find it. And be in it, and especially when I'm on tour and I'm just going from one concrete jungle to the next, it's really nice to go. Okay, we're in Vegas, but just outside of Vegas, there's Red Rock, and that's an incredible park. And we, you know, I can can get away from it all, Uh, and just finding those moments of solace in nature and connection.
0: They scream for victory. Adam Gardner, musician, outdoor enthusiast, and facilitator of change. The music climate revolution is here, and Reverb has been making moves to make changes in the industry since 2004. Through his passion on the stage with Guster to speaking to Congress, Adam walks the talk. We can all make a difference. Individual actions will and do matter. To learn more, check out Reverb.org and stay up to date on all things Guster at guster.com. Songscapes is a production of Sustained Music and Nature. If you like this program, Please subscribe, write a review, and give us a follow on our socials at Sustain Music and Nature. If you want to make a donation or are just interested in learning more about what else we do, check out our website at SustainMusicAndNature.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, see you out on the trail.